Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast, in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chat some of the interesting figures and leading lights of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest who I would say is actually a friend of mine as well, Caleb Daniels, who people on Instagram might know as Commando Bond. He is, uh, oh, James Bond fan, firearms aficionado, writing a book now. It's going to be published by Headstamp all about the guns of James Bond and an absolute phenomenon on social media. I started following uh, following Caleb when he had fewer followers than me. He's now approaching 21,000 on Instagram. And the level of professionalism you bring to what you do on social media is great. And I think a lot of uh, listeners are going to be really, really excited to learn, you know, the process of how you do it to be successful. So thank you so much, Caleb, for coming on board. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. Brilliant. We are delighted to have you. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, Roland. And thanks, Caleb, for coming on. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah, the topic of social media comes up a lot. And obviously, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but, you know, a lot of the authors, um, when they're starting out, they don't know how to get it rolling, right? And it's easier to do when you're already a big name, when you've already got a whole bunch of fans, people just start following you. Um, but when you're a new author and you don't have that following, you know, they're kind of like, well, you know, now how do I get people to start following me? And it's a really slow process, right? But here you are, you've got 20,000 Instagram followers and you don't even have your book out yet. So you, and you know, your background in, in social media and in SEO and all that stuff, I'm sure has helped, uh, helped you figure all this out. So we have the benefit of talking to you rather than having to have that background ourselves. So <laughs> maybe you can um, talk, well, you know, first tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, where you, you come from, you know, professionally and, and the book you're, you're working on. And, and then, you know, we can then roll into how you've started to build your social media empire. Sure. And it's, I appreciate the word empire. It's a small <laughs> drop in the pond so far, but it's, it's a work in progress without a doubt. It's becoming an empire. I'll take it. Um, so my background, I, I started working in the, um, the firearms industry, eight years ago. So I was 17 years old. It was my first part-time job working in that industry. And that's, that's the niche that I operate with. And I should clarify that as well. Um, so I working a range counter, cleaning shelves and all that and what nonsense did that for a handful of years through high school and college. But during that time as well, because I, I got hired on at this company two weeks after it had opened and they had large aspirations, huge facility and all this, and they needed a lot of help trying to just figure that out. So it was like a young team, people my age and just a few years older that kind of built a cohort that started building that business up. And so I had an interest in marketing. I was studying it in college. And so I started doing like SEO blogging for the company from school. Um, so I was promoting in, that was my beer money was, was writing, you know, thousand word articles, kind of figuring out SEO best practices. That was honestly the biggest benefit there it was, it was kind of a wild west situation where we didn't really have any idea what to do and they had no clue what to do. So I just kind of worked with the parameters that had been loosely set to kind of figure things out. And those blogs started tracking successfully. And I think when I went to graduate college three years later, um, the top performing pages on that website in the top 10 were blogs that I'd written like five years previously. And so that was like really exciting for me because I was looking to go into a full-time role doing that. And that was a great trajectory for it. And so in that I um, started managing the marketing of that firm. At that point we had three physical locations in e-commerce in 50 States. And so I was managing all the marketing. So doing about 6,000 worth of copy a month, um, managing all the social media and then, designing, building, and deploying um, about 15 email campaigns as well. Top to bottom. So I was kind of just playing all things digital marketing, and that's where the social media stuff kind of started coming in. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to do marketing in this environment. Um, and the social side of it is really, really difficult because there's algorithms in place that can read, like, images and at this point, it was casually called shadow banning for a while, but now it's just well known. If you see any firearms related accounts or anything that's considered dangerous um, implements, they'll, they'll all have notices on their accounts acknowledging that organic growth is no longer possible for them unless they delete essentially all content. Um, so that that's why SEO is such an important part of that industry is because 
e-commerce is the only way to survive and the only way to get theirs search engine. But now I'm just explaining that. But to the end, um, when I was in college, I was, I was having a lot of issues with professors not having any background in digital marketing, teaching digital marketing. So I had a professor teaching a social media class who had not been in industry since the 1980s. And her studies on the side were more about print media and advertising in like magazines and whatnot. So even like what she was doing, she wasn't doing anything to further herself in that field of study to teach this class. And so that's why I started doing the account, the commando bond account was because I kind of felt like there was this need for me to figure out how to make social media work so I could be ready. I, you know, in most practical applications, build the resume. Um, but in the more, you know, the fun side of it, it was great community. There was a lot of awesome conversations and I felt like it was a niche that was severely lacking. There wasn't a lot of dialogue there. And so I wanted to be able to take my professional background and experience and the fun that I was wanting to have and kind of combine the two together, which is what I, that was like three years ago that I started um, back when I was in college and then moved along since then. And you've had a phenomenal run with it as well. You started off in college with nothing three years ago and now, yeah, 20,000 followers. You're, you're writing yeah. a book. It's everyone knows you. You get invited to all sorts of bond things because people really respect what you have to say. Yeah, I, I don't put as much emphasis on the numbers anymore as I used to. I think, I mean, not to say like, oh, I've made it. But I, I, to me, it's like because of the way that the industry is siphoned heavily on social, to me, it's really become about like the, the personal contacts that I've been able to produce out of it, which have been insane. I mean, the amount of like just awesome opportunities, like on the book alone, for example, I've been, I've had the pleasure to work with, Beretta Italy, Walther Arms Germany, Holland and Holland and Great Britain, like directly with their archive teams, directly with their lead historians, people that I should, I'm 25 years old and have an Instagram account about guns. I should not in theory have access to these types of people, but I've had amazing opportunities like that. I've collaborated with Walther USA a couple times over doing photography for their, um, for their product. Um, I can't on what I'm trying to say here. I, I did two major collaboration projects, one for their one for a physical media piece and then another for an actual challenge coin that came with the final edition of the P99, which is, you know, Bond's full frame pistol. Um, they had a challenge coin. They wanted to do a Bond style image on one side of it. So they had me capture one to go on the back side of that coin. So stuff like that's been really, really fun. Now, one thing I think you mentioned it earlier is you you've got a niche. You've got like. Mm-hmm firearms, James Bond, and where they hit. And I think one of the things that's really successful in social media is having a niche. And and where do you come up with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the, for me, it was the convergence of two very strong personal passions. One was like that, the Bond side of things, the aesthetics um, and whatnot. And then I, mean, I love the books, the movies. I love everything about the character, but I had I had this niche that I was passionate about because I had, professional background there, right? And it's just, it was my life in general, not just professionally, but it was my whole life. It's what I grew up around, et cetera. So it was really easy for me to kind of fall into that path. And so, you know, it's this plus that, and it creates a really authentic story. And what's, for me, it was authentic too, because that's, there are pieces that I own, there are pieces that I'm using, it's things that I enjoy. And so it, it creates this very like authentic experience for me. And then that translates really comfortably onto the, uh, the user side as well so someone like viewing that media can see like a very authentic day-to-day sort of affair because of the pieces that i i physically have on me that i might have just taken out real quick take a quick photo of discuss share the history of etc and so i think it's about finding the things that matter most and then authentically telling stories about them because i think oftentimes the mistake people make is casting far too wide of a net like like in the James Bond space, for instance, there's like a million, all things, everything, James Bond. There's a lot of channels like that. And each one has like 300, 500 followers. And there's two or three that have a ton because they're, they're the places, they're the stalwarts, they're the, you know, like, like Remmer, um, James Bond lifestyle. It's the website, it's the blog spot or, you know, Matt's phaser Bond suits. He, he's a really great example of another niche inside of there. It's the, the sartorial side of things. But to that end, it's, some people get to play the winner takes all game. And I think it's because they started out so early kind of in the wild west days of like the internet. Um, and they, they built themselves up as that, as that dominant 
force. People know them for that and they're able to be that. But in a world where it's so easy, I think, to capture everything, being a Wikipedia is kind of a dangerous thing because no one no one needs all source information. They want your information. They come to you for a certain type of look, feel, story, whatever it might be. Now, I, I imagine there are probably authors listening to this being like, well, I don't like James Bond and I don't like guns. How is this relevant to me? But I think it's like a lot of it is these are things you were passionate about and you combined them and yeah. did social media. So if there are things other people are passionate about, like I like motorcycles and romance books, mash them together. That's a thing. And so maybe yeah. that, yeah, passion. And you seem to really well, enjoy you, doing what you, you do. You brought up like, a, like, you know, Jack Carr. He's a, he's a phenomenal yeah. example of this because, you know, he's a political thriller writer and he leverages his, his background and, and history and just being just a passionate reader in general of, of history and arms and conflict and writes fantastic pieces on social to, to kind of create a convergence. And I think he's built himself such a strong digital brand um, not as another veteran writing a book, but as somebody who is a place to go to learn about real world events and history, um, both in his writing and in his social media. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about that in the past in the sense that, you know, people that do social media well versus the people that don't. Often the time, the, the people that don't are almost, I don't want to say phoning it in, but you know, they're, they're not passionate or they, at least they're not putting their passion through into their social media. They're using it as a, you know, Hey, I can try to use this to sell books and they're not putting any content out there that is telling people that this is the place to go to hear about this specific thing. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest issues that, that authors have is they're like, okay, I need a social media account. So I'll just create one. And then when I have a new book, I'll just post about it. But that's, that doesn't help build your, your brand. No. And I think it kind of comes down to how you view digital marketing overall. I think the biggest mistake that is made is taking social media as its own separate segment. I know a lot of people try to create avenues, but really it should just be considered like an arrow inside the quiver. And what I mean by that is when I was a one man team, doing like what I said, 6,000 words a month. So I was writing a bunch of blogs that were SEO oriented. And then I was producing 15 plus email campaigns and doing all the graphic design form and whatnot as well on top of all social media and all these other components. I wasn't building 500 different elements. I was a writer first and foremost. So I was writing a blog post that was, that I really enjoyed. And then I was segmenting that out and creating drip style social media content around that same topic area. That email then or that, that blog then becomes an email and it becomes a story post. So you, you can create a very strong omni-channel marketing approach and fold social media into that by leveraging your strengths. So, you, you know, obviously your guys' listeners, strengths being writing, let that be first and foremost what you have. Let the story be the primary focus and don't think of it as writing another 500 word maximum or 250 character maximum social media post. Think of it about writing a micro blog or writing a blog that has 15 micro headers or even just three or four, and then segmenting those out to social media. And from there you've built out a whole month's worth of content or even three months, because you don't necessarily want to have five posts in an entire week over the exact same topic area. You just take that, split it up, put it on a calendar. Okay. This is the first Monday and the second Wednesday. And now suddenly you've taken this blog and you've got three months worth of content that are dripped out comfortably. That's phenomenal because I, I used to do social media for big corporations and it always felt like a sausage factory. You would just yeah. have to make, make, make. And the thing about you is you always have really interesting content coming out on a regular basis. But you can see, like, I think your last post on Instagram was you in Alaska, which is a trip you took months ago. And I guess, like, you shot a bunch of pictures and did, made a bunch of content and then you can drip feed it out. Yep. Yeah. So you, you don't just want to, like let it completely silo itself out at once. Then you lose that experience, that opportunity or that story you want to tell. Um, I, I did a lot of content in Alaska once because I was there and it was beautiful. And too, because I was working with um, a 1911 brand, a good friend of mine works at, and they sent me a firearm to take with me on the strip. And so I did a, a ton of content for them and did a lot of writing and explanation is where we were and all this. And it was, it was lovely, but yeah, to that end, you, you're, you're able to, spread it out so then you're not over inundating people with a certain style or a certain feeling or a certain piece um it can kind of get 
you know, it makes it easier to scroll past it if you do that. And so that's why, like when I was when I was doing the blogging, I would pick two major topic areas a month, and inside of those two major topic areas, I would create three subset blogs. So if it was like, you know, self defense classes, I'd have like concealed carry, basic pistol, and advanced, and what that means. And inside of there, I'd have two or three 500 word blogs that I'd write. And so when I did that, I, I now have seven or eight topic areas that are really strong that are now talked about in a granular detail. And when you do it that way as well, um, you can create yourself a really good like sales funnel um, for for the reader. You know, you create the entry level, the top of that funnel, and then you you work them down into like the more niche style topics. And so it's if you write content like that and you write it on a blog and then it turns into a drip campaign email for, let's say, because those are really easy to make. And if you don't have a, if you have a website and you have an email server that you're using and you're not leveraging that, I certainly recommend like a 30, 60, 90 style campaign where you create a more open-ended, Hey, thank you for signing up. Here's who I am. Here's some more interesting information. Here's some of the books I've written and here's why I care about this. And that deploys just automatically. And a lot of pretty much any email uh-huh. style allows you to do that. Yeah, so you automate, like I use MailChimp, for example, and I know yep. I have an automation thing with my, my signups for their books, and that's great. So you have, you know, somebody signs up, the first thing they get is an email, you explaining who you are. Mm-hmm. Then how long do you delay before you send out the next email? The, the, the best best practice is like 30, 60, 90, so in terms of days. So you, you create like a quarter-long campaign where people are just getting automated messaging where they, they get dropped into this particular bucket. And then they get strung along this journey and you can create those for all sorts of things. So someone buys a book, yep. thank them for buying the book directly from you or however that works. And then you might also like being like the third email. You don't talk new product in the first one. You, you, you just kind of describe, Hey, this is why this means a lot to me. And then, you know, say 36 to 90, Hey, have you had a chance to, to read this yet? I really appreciate you buying it. Here's some of the things that I took away from writing this. And that, that 90 day, following up again like here here's some other stories that i've written since this book that are in the same sphere that you might enjoy um that that sort of thing and i would do that with with product i would do that with classes and so it's it's a really easy way to kind of repurpose and this all comes back to social media too because if you're writing social content you can quickly repackage it into pieces like this where you're doing like maybe two hours worth of work to build out a full campaign like that and it's working for you round the clock. So it's far and forget. Yeah, you're your self-published author or whatever else. You are your own business. And so how, every aspect of the work you can do that mitigates it for you down the road, you should be taking part in, which is why I love drip campaigns and stuff like that. Yeah. So you spend like two hours creating those things and then they work for you in the background every yep, time and, someone signs up. It, it definitely. So anytime someone does x task it creates x thing and then you're just checking up on it maybe once a month to verify everything's functioning the way it's supposed to but you create a really strong base and all the while too you, you create consistent pieces like a header bar that drives to your social media or drives to your website and you just create cookie cutter pieces that you can reutilize in all campaigns that share along why you should have why you should be part of this journey so you know building the brand is coming up with the niche and then from there, there's a lot of the business nuts and bolts of it of how do you actually get out in front of people. And I think those are the the best tools. And I think if they're not used in conjunction, I, I'm definitely in the situation where the uh, you know the cobbler's kids don't have shoes, where I do this a lot professionally. <laughs> and I, I haven't quite started building out these campaigns for myself in totality yet. But I, and I, I work at a full service digital marketing firm now, and this is all I do. Is, is the is the email deployments and stuff like that. So the social is just, you know, where I get to kind of relax and build build my own content and create these contacts for myself. Awesome. So if you don't have all of that to begin with, though, um, you know, how do you, like, how did you get started building that all out without having a book written? And, and yeah, yeah it, it was 20,000 followers. And, it was just sharing small vignette stories about like pieces that mattered to me. And so what I found was helpful too, in terms of my niche was it's okay to, I had the very small subset where it's James Bond and firearms. Well, that limits it to if I'm, 
just because I'm in the middle of the book research as well, if I limit it just to the firearms that touch James Bond's hands, let's say, were in the category of between books and movies, 200 to 300 firearms. Well, that's not that's not three years worth of content, right? Even if I, you know, repurpose things a million times over and I have a nasty habit of reusing pieces a lot just because I, I share what I own, I take pictures of what I own, et cetera. But to that end, it's it's okay to not focus completely on that niche. Like you, you know that that is where things are centered, but you can kind of like walk that bubble out a little bit. So really what I consider what I do is a pop culture intersection with my second amendment firearm style community. And so I can kind of like space that out a little bit. And I know that a lot of people that are interested in James Bond are in certain demographics. So if I do a post about the 18 or Magnum PI, or anything like that, I, I get really strong engagement because people, that cross-section exists. Or if I stay within the niche a bit more and don't just focus on the tool, but also talk about like holster systems or getting dressed and the sartorial aspects of it and all of that, again, it's really easy to kind of create that that conjunction. And so really what I think it came down to was I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a brand mission statement. You know, I wrote which is essentially just like your social media bio. Um, like I wanted to talk about double O firearms, you know, daily carry, you know, training, you know, living and training a life like James Bond. Like I built out a, a mission and then I, I tried to build out content that all fell within that. And then made sure the messaging was consistent. Um, and I think that's the most important part is just a, a relative amount of consistency with, with the why. I know that's it's such an easy word to, to use when you talk about social or anything else is starting with why and doing all that fun stuff. But I really think it's so easy to be drowned out because a lot of folks, they, they throw in a million directions. But if you really authentically talk about these niche pieces that really matter to you um, that also have good marketability, um, you're in a really strong position where you can you can grow engagement, and then you do the you do the basic social media stuff too, where you occasionally will ask open ended questions or like inside a post, right, where you you ask for engagement, which is a little cliche, and so you don't want to do stuff like that often because it feels really clickbaity. But then I do a lot of like I do a weekly AMA, so I do the ask me anything where I'll do questions and answers with folks and just kind of be a bit more engaging in that respect where. It also helps me get a feel for where people are in terms of what content they might be interested in. Like I let people ask questions and then I go, okay, this is something I haven't talked about in a while. I'm hearing about this a lot. I should probably do some more posts about this. That's, so, and you yeah. get a lot of engagement with those as well. I mean, I've done like yeah. ask me questions and I mean, obviously I have a fraction of your followers and don't really get much engagement. How long did it build up to start getting people actually asking you questions and, and engaging with you? Honestly, it's slowed down only because I do it more consistently. Right. So I do it on a weekly cadence. And so the questions, like the amount of questions I get, it, it went down from like, like it was like well over 50 or 60 in the span of like a 24 hour period. Now it's like 30 to 40, which I think is more than reasonable. And I don't answer everything because it would just completely destroy the stories. And sometimes it's nice too, because those are the situations where you answer a question a lot or because you have a particular niche, you can just respond to that person directly. You build a lot of personal contacts, and that's what I do a lot of. Is I'll authentically uh, build a lot of relationships with folks. I mean, that's how you and I got connected. It was just started connecting via Instagram through the direct message, and that's how I connect with a lot of brands and people. And that's how I'm able to learn the things that I need in order to tell better stories about what I want to talk about. Is because I just I'm I, I try to be as open and willing as possible. And I think that that willingness aspect of it is a lot of it. You, you, Craig, you talked about like the mail-in effect. People can kind of smell that. I feel like on, on social posts or anything digital and that, that not only impacts just like post engagement, it also, I think impacts how people engage with you as an individual. Um, like the, uh, I'll stay inside my niche just because I can talk to it easier, but like the firearms community has a nasty habit of like, a lot of like people that get classified as like shills, right, for product and whatnot, because these brands physically cannot market for themselves. And so the best way for them to market is to send product to people for free and have them talk about it. And what's the worst thing that happens? And that person gets deplatformed, not the end of the world. So there's a lot of like shady business things in terms of authenticity where people don't disclose how they're getting free products or if they're getting free products and they talk 
just at length, um, you know, with like very verbose terms about how amazing this stuff is. And then it comes out, well, obviously you, you can smell, okay, this is just free goods from XYZ, crummy brand that's bad. It's bad information. It's unhealthy. Um, and people, and, and that, that hurts them. And so, you know, I don't, not say I have not engaged with free goods or engaged with brands, but I, I stay pretty authentic as to when I get stuff. I'll tell people or keep it pretty open and clear and stay organic and authentic and, you know, thank people for engaging with me. I think that's the most important part is I, I say thank you a lot because I don't, I definitely don't deserve the experiences. I, I feel anyway that, that I've had so far. I mean, I've had some boost with the, the brands and the people and the community, it's just, it, it's an, it's incredible how quickly once you open a door to a niche and you start talking authentically to people about what you care about, you can slowly build yourself into that, that person in that community where you're able to be talked, you can talk to them about those types of issues and, and they, they, they can at least somewhat recognize what you're doing and they can see the consistency and authenticity where they're willing to open that door. And it's also, I think, at the end of the day, I know I'm rambling at this point, but the, a severe ounce of professionalism is perfectly okay. So you, you, you can be honest, but you can also be, you know, the model professional in what you do. I think oftentimes people don't professionally communicate or which is the willingness part of it. Like I, I want to be helpful in general just because that's what I believe in. But also there's a professional aspect to that where if you have any of that customer service experience background, et cetera, there's a big difference between saying sure and thank you, right? And I think thanking people constantly for what they do and driving a conversation with them is the most important thing. And that's how you build an authentic base of people to engage with. Authenticity yeah, is a, well, is a word you hear a lot, but it's, it's you seem to demonstrate that. Sorry, Craig. Well, I mean, it goes to the same thing. I was going to say, like, you know, when you have that authenticity, when people trust what you're saying about something – um, you know, you were talking about getting free product and it, it sounds like, you know, people will call you a shill or whatever, but, you know, I think that that's going to happen more to somebody who isn't authentic when, mm-hmm. you know, A, they're say they only show up to talk about something, you know, that they got for free and people know that because that's the only time they ever talk about anything. Whereas it's somebody who people are listening to and trusting. And then once in a while they get something for free and they talk about it. Um, you know, it's far more trustworthy because, you know, it, it makes sense that they would get that. They're, they're an authority on the subject. So right. that, that place will send them stuff. Now, if they're always only talking about how amazing every product is that they're got, that they, that they're given, you know, then, then that's, you know, that might sound a little bit chillish still, but, you know, hopefully you're able to, you know, talk authentically about those products as well. And then people won't mind that you're getting it for free because how else are they going to hear? You can't buy everything. You can't, you know, right. experience everything. Right. So it's okay. I, and I, I have the benefit of age with that as well. Like I, I don't get called out for that, thankfully. And it's, I think for, for a number of reasons, one, I, I do really try to be authentic and I try to be open about it, but then I'm all 25 and you know, I don't exactly have the capital for all these pieces are, you know, baseline between 500 and $700 just for entry into something and that's so it's like it's really hard to authentically talk about something if you don't have access to it and so but to that end like these are these conversations allowed us to and i'll 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 explain real world example here that i think my book would not be happening without this and so i i created a great relationship with a gentleman named keith ford who is a private collector who works as a gunsmith with brownells which is one of the largest online distributors for firearms components and whatnot. And they're a really great resource base because they have a bunch of folks on staff that are experts, et cetera. But anyway, um, he and I met two years ago at a trade show. I had some questions for him about bond guns and whatnot, because he's just an old school, old world gunsmith. So that impossible stuff that no one does anymore. Um, so we talk about it, you know, shake his hand, say, thank you. Really appreciate it. Follow up with him on social media and LinkedIn, connect all that, whatnot. And we slowly started building a friendship over the course of like two years. Um, well, I was, we were desperate because in the case of this book, because of the niche that I operate within, Eon Publications, or yeah, 
Eon, so the folks that make the Bond movies and Dan Jack, so those are the folks that actually make all the films and own all the copyright. They do not want to work with us. We actually had somebody who we knew that was inside of their legal department. Um, so we reached out via them to ask about this, and we were shut down very quickly because of the niche that we operated within, specifically because of that. And so that's kind of our book is a, it'll be a coffee table book, um, huge life size, beautiful photography is kind of the, the primary thing of these Vickers guides or head stamp books. It's this hyper realistic photography, clean white backgrounds, then a solid amount of copy. And so for me, it's less about the, the text won't exist without solid photography. So I can't get into the props because these people won't let me. So it really came down to, can I find beautiful real world examples of these that don't require us to travel to 500 places? I start talking to Keith and we have a, we have a preliminary phone call and suddenly he's working with him and a multitude of his friends in the same region to come together to build out almost everything I needed to photograph for this book. And in one trip, we captured two thirds of the assets required, which was incredible. And it was, it was incredible. And I was, I was with things that I would never believe that would have been able to touch before. I was worried that we were going to have to send off to museums and have their people capture stuff so we could layer it in. But for the writing side of it, it's a lot harder to write about something if I can't feel it, touch it, talk about it. But I was there, I got to handle them and I have all these beautiful photos and like granular detail to look at now. Um, but that all stemmed because of just polite conversation, connecting on social and just continuing to engage. And so I think I, at the end of the day, it's less about the people, but the amount, which is really important for the sales side, but for the research and everything else side, but who you get to connect with and how you treat everybody. Cause you never know what connection can lead where. And, you know, not to say that you use people, but you're authentic and kind to folks. And sometimes they're willing to be the same back to you. And you described your, your Instagram account as almost like a resume earlier. And I guess that would be, you connect with somebody and you, mm-hmm. you get on well face to face and then they look you up on social media and what have they got? Hundreds of posts where you are demonstrating that you are exactly the person that you uh, projected yourself as when you met them. So it really, it backs you up. And I think the amazing thing about social media is when you've got an account like yours, it's very authentic. You feel like you know you, even if you don't. Like I, I yeah. describe you as a friend, even though we've never met face to face. We probably had a limited interactions because it's like, oh, I, I like this guy. I, I get what he's putting out there and, and we connect. And I guess that works really well when you're trying to network because you've got like a, a window into your life and who you are as a person. Yeah, I think that it, it can be a real asset in that respect, provided you. You don't operate outside of your brief, if you will, like you, you build into a niche that you're comfortable and confident talking about because you are displaying at the end of the day you and your interests. And and again, the word authenticity is thrown around a lot, but it really, really matters when it comes to building out these relationships and these people and building up a strong following because I, I, I own it. I'm a giant dork talking about two things that I'm really passionate about and I've got no qualms saying it and I, I do it every day and my wife rolls her eyes at me when I'm doing photography or writing or whatever else. But at the end of the day, it's, it's good fun for both of us. And it's, it, it, it drives what I want to do. It, it kind of, if you don't have the book yet, because I wanted to write this book for the three years I was working or the last two years in industry, but I was describing what I was doing in the fire industry. I just didn't have the capacity to do the writing on the side. And so the social media was a really great outlet and escape to kind of build up knowing what I wanted to end up doing Um, because it it gave me the opportunity in small bursts to talk about these things that mattered and to, to build these connections. And so, you know, if you know you're going to be researching a subject area or, you know, you're going to someday you have a book that's going to fall into this vein, just talk about it. You know, there's no no harm in that whatsoever. And you could slowly, at the end of the day, you're researching more about it. And that's only going to fuel your passion for the writing about it long term. That's helped me immensely because now I can fall back on like, I'm writing all these like, because of the way the book's laid out, it's basically like 300 micro articles or articles about different pieces. And I get to scroll through my social going, how did I word this? I really liked how I talked about this. I remember I wrote a post like two years ago that described this piece I liked the, you know, the, the language I used. I, I should go look that up because I need a, a jump off point. And I kind of have that as just a, a starter. 
Yeah, and I think you know a lot of authors, you know, they're trying to figure out how this would work in their, you know, for them because mm-hmm. they're, you know, not necessarily looking to get free products or, or yeah. you know, and like you said, researching. So it's it's about the contacts you meet, right? And so for for research, yeah, maybe you're talking, maybe you're writing a historical novel and you're working on it and you're talking about a certain time period and and you talk a lot about that as you're going through the research and and people start, you know, connecting to your social because of that. And then you know maybe you meet people that have experience with it and they can give you the opportunity to talk talk with them or to to see items that they've collected or whatever. But also, I mean, even in general, you know, Aside from all that, you meet people that can help. In other words, you meet and and you hear about this all the time from authors. They meet people that help them edit their books. They help them beta read their books. They help them review their. They get they give them reviews, or they just become people that they can talk to. Not you know I don't say cheerleaders, but people that you know they're fans of theirs, and that it gives them just the confidence. You know when you start building up that social media you know, now you have 20,000 people that are interested in what you have to say. And regardless of what they can do for you physically, mm-hmm. um, it's what they can do for your your confidence level in in just, you know, sometimes with writers, you know, they start to, to, to self-doubt or they start to, you know, wonder if anyone really cares. Or, but but often having those people listening and, and just, just wanting to hear your next post will give you that confidence to go forward and, and and keep pushing even when you're, you know, getting, getting down about writer's block or, or, or whatever it is. It's just that, that ego boost that you kind of, that everyone kind of needs to, to tell them they're on the right track and people do are interested in what they have to say. Right. Yeah, no, I think that the, the connections and, and in, all in general, the intrinsic value, the, the fringe benefits and all that are, are definitely there. And you make a great point about the people you connect with and all the different ways they can really be impactful. Um, I talked about Keith. It's also how I met the folks at Headstamps. My actual publisher, I connected through social media on. Um, I was, I had the capacity. I'm like, I'm going to write this book. I've been wanting to write this book for three years and I finally have the time to do it. Um, I'm going to write this book. But first I need to make sure that it's not going to be anything but a book by these people. Like I know it has to be in partnership with these folks to make it the best it can be. Well, I go to look up who's, who's publishing and doing the photography and all that. And I go to message them online and I find out that they're already following me. Like I had, I had already connected with them and I didn't even know it. So I, I followed back and started this conversation and dialogue. And it's like Roland said, it's, it's about building out kind of the, that authentic resume of who you are and who you want to be, where it's like, Hey, this is my pitch. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to do. And I think the day later I had a follow-up call with him and Ian, the other partner at Headstamp about this. He's like, yep, you know what? It's like, I've been following your stuff. I, I know kind of what you're about. You're authentic when you're talking about this right now. Like you, you, you have a vision in place. Let's bring in everybody else. And we were, we had a tentative agreement. We started working on the book like the following week. I was writing it out, which I know, I know is not typically how stuff gets to go, but to that end, it was, it was incredible that it just kind of all fell into place there just because I built an account around the things that I cared about already for three years. People inside the space were already there. And so it was yeah. kind of easier to kind of follow in and go, Hey, this is who I am. Are you ready to work with me? Cause I am ready to work with you. And they see that, that you have that following and that gives them the confidence to know that there are people there. You have a built-in audience. So they already, it's, it's less of a risk for them, you know, to say, Oh, well, you know, we follow him, but we, you know, we follow him and so do 10 other people, but that's not going to make an audience for his book, but you've got 20,000 people. They're like, well, you know, there's a lot of people interested in this, Uh, you know, makes the risk for them a lot less. We, you know, one of our early podcasts, we talked to uh, Jennifer Milliken, who, you know, her book, she did a TikTok and it went viral and you know, 2 million people viewed it or whatever. And then all of a sudden she has a book deal and, you know, but that wasn't a new book. It was a book that had been out years for years and nobody was interested. But as soon as they, as soon as they saw that other people were interested, all of a sudden, Hey, let's make a, let's make a deal. You know, social can really open up a lot of doors and opportunities for mm-hmm. you in, in so many different ways. I think one yeah, thing we've heard a lot is how how many years people have invested to become an overnight success. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Caleb, I interrupted you. No, no, no. It's, that's I, I kind of what I was going to say as well. Is that it definitely 
it's it's easy for me to kind of just like say I had this great opportunity and experience and all that, but it really was just a lot of time equity just put into the spare time. Hey, I'm going to do this. I've, I've got the time. I'm going to take a quick photo. I'm going to share this story. I'm going to make this post. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to do it over the span of three years. And now I get to go and talk to folks. And I, I'm not, I'm not a recognized quantity to any degree, but I, I do have recognition now when I go to spaces, both professionally and personally. And that's, that means a lot. And it, it really does help helps me get, get where I need to go in order to make this a success. And so and the other thing too, uh, and you guys talking about um, Kickstarter and how, how that works really well. That is the primary tool that Headstamp uses for their, their self-published books and how they drive traffic on that is through the built-in audience of, of Ian McCollum, who has a, a YouTube channel, Rotten Weapons and an Instagram. And during that tenure, he, he has like four to five videos that drops throughout the, the pre-sale period to kind of build promotion about the book. And that's typically, aside from just a little bit of like social media, that's all they really focus on in order of like pushing the book out. And that's how they see the success that they do, Yeah, uh, which is incredible. But it's because there's a very, you know, his audience is pretty solid and he's built up over a number of years. Ian has a very passionate audience base. He talks authentically about these archaic pieces that are very niche that no one really knows about. And he's done so for years. Most of his filming is, you know, it's not bad by any stretch, but it's not like he's doing incredible cinematic cinematic style videography. He's talking very politely, very excitedly about something that's sitting right in front of him. He's using it. And then he's, he's writing about it and he does five or six videos on a channel that he built up over time. And he pushes a book into a bestseller category. Absolutely. I watch his videos like religiously because I find them fascinating. He's got such a he goes to the auction houses. He's got such a a fascinating mix, just as you are two things squished together. He's got like history and also firearms. And then you squish them together and it makes such an interesting thing to find out why a firearm was was created Mm -hmm. in the historical context and in an interpersonal context that ended up creating it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff. And that's that's the niche that we both operate within to a degree. And that's why I think we get along as well as we do. Cause it's just, it's fun. And it's again, it's, it's just because I have the two pieces in play. I always play the why card with everything that I do. It's like, okay, cool. This thing exists, but why does it exist? Who were real end users? Whose yeah. stories can I share? What can I talk about? And when you do that, you get out of the James Bond and the Walter PPK like subcategory and you expand it out into being able to just talk about whatever you like and it feels authentic because it still follows that general brand statement that you built out. And I think that's the hardest part is deciding on what you want your brand to be. And obviously you don't have to exist inside of that niche indefinitely, but I think it helps a lot to, to know what you want to talk about and kind of keep that messaging relatively consistent. And then you can sprinkle in the, the sales things. You know, an example that I'll, I'll give too is like when I was at the retail place, um, I focused a lot on this was the brand in general was about like family and education. So it was a firearm store with, with, with retail and range and all the rest. But I talked a lot about classes and why they were important and who taught them and all, all, all the rest of it. And that helped a lot with just growing the follower base for a number of reasons, but also it really helped with, um, a lot of people asking questions, you know, you're building content that wants people that leaves people asking more. And you're kind of on that discovery journey with them as well. Cause you're sharing along as you go like, okay, this is why this type of education is really important. This is why this is really cool. This is what we learned today. And I think that if you take them on that journey with you, you're a lot better off. And that's how you see like any like Instagram reels account anymore that are starting to go viral. It's everyone doing their HGTV adventure, right? Like follow me on my journey and it works. It works because people yeah. care about being a part of the story. They're like, man, how did that end up? Or where, where did that leave off? And, you know, I think that it's these little tactics and tools that, that feel a little klutzy at times. But if you make it your own, you can have a lot of fun with it and it'll work. Now, we're running out of time, unfortunately, but I have two questions uh, that I'd like to answer. Craig, do you have any additional questions you'd like to go in before I completely monopolize? No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Okay, I'm going to ask you an, uh, an easy question, a difficult question, but I'm not going to tell you which is which, and you have to tell me afterwards. The first Brilliant. one is, um, we've spoken a lot about strategy, the, the why. I love that. Like Simon Sinek said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Mm-hmm. When you talk about tactics, though, like you look at your uh, Instagram account, you've got all of these beautiful pictures and things. When you, how do you, do you sit down and take 100 pictures at a particular thing and then filter them out? What is the, the work, what does the, the work process look like to produce the content that you do? Honestly, I take a photo and post it most times within the span of like three to five minutes. So I happen to have a handful of things in front of me. I've got like, hey, I've got 15 minutes for my next meeting or, hey, I'm out and about. I'll snap a photo. I'll quickly edit it up and I'll share it. And if I'm out and about or I'm on an adventure like in Alaska or whatever, I'm not doing it to that end. I'm taking as many as I can. I don't I don't have the time right now um, or, or really the space where I can build out a studio and kind of just do 200 photos at a time, build out a bunch of content, edit it all up, and then shoehorn warehouse. The people that are much better than me have that capacity. My friend Eli, um, he, he's the guy I work with over at Alchemy, um, 1776 Duck on Instagram. Phenomenal job. That's a lot of what he does is he's able to go out and do photo shoot days. I need to get better at doing that, um, which is why sometimes if you, if you scroll through my channel, you'll see somewhat repetition of pieces or things because it's what I had with me at the time. If I'm traveling for a week, I might have one handgun, five shirts, and whatever else, and two books. And you're going to see a handful of that because I'm authentically sharing what I have physically with me at the time. And then sometimes I'll, I'll sporadically layer in pieces. Like I have over like three or 4,000 photos I've taken over the last three years. And so sometimes I'll just drop in a post that or a photo that I took before because I took five of the same setup different angles and things, edited them all, only posted one. And now two years down the line, I can go and share another one of those. That's brilliant. And my second question is, you're, you come across as very authentic. You're obviously, you're in the firearm space. There are some things you do that you're very open about. Like uh, you posted that video where you were at a, uh, a debate about the Second Amendment and you spoke mm-hmm. very eloquently and powerfully with them. But you're not going on there i don't know whether you're not going on there being like lock trump up or the biden crime family you're very um you're very professional in the way you put that how important do you think it is to like stay stay in your lane and stay out of certain discussions and which discussions to be in yeah i think that's a really good question so i my background my biggest background thing that i haven't talked about is i mean i'm a nerd through and through um, I was I was in debate from seventh grade forward. So I went to college on a debate scholarship and all the rest of it. I am about as, you know, about it like that as you can get. And so that's what made that discussion really important to me. And I think the biggest flaw I found with people in that space um, that I had to work on for myself, too, was always trying to have an answer for every question. It's OK to say, I don't know. It's OK to say, I need to look into this more. And so for me, um, I knew that, and I was also in a space where I was the only individual who was kind of of my background, politically, philosophically, whatever, in that entire space. At the collegiate debate sphere, there's maybe like three to five people who had similar viewpoints as me. And that was the same with the collegiate level overall. And so you get on a bus for 16 hours with 15 to 20 people who are who argue for fun anyway, who all hold similar viewpoints, it becomes a literal echo chamber. And I would completely zone out of that situation entirely because I knew it was not worth breath, effort, et cetera, because I was just going to overexert myself, get frustrated, and it wasn't going to do anyone any good um, because that's their issue or that's their thing. But I can speak very confidently and very fluently about the, the most monotonous level of detail um, about that industry. And so if any question or any claim peaked up out of that, I take my headphone out. I would politely explain why everything that they were saying was inaccurate and walk them through everything that I felt was true. And here's the law. Here's how it works. Here's the Supreme Court cases involved, blah, 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 blah. And I would, I would carry on. I think people can easily guess how I feel about certain things, but they don't, they don't need to know. And if they ask me, I'll happily tell them if it feels like it's not just a fishing expedition, right? But to me, it's this is who I am. This is what I believe in. This is why I believe it's important. And I think that's it, it's because I can talk very competently, articulately about it. And, you know, I did that debate and they had me, they attempted to make me sign a pledge at the beginning where they had prefabricated like a 60 page document of research and evidence that we all had to agree were standardized facts. 
I was the only person on that stage that didn't sign that. And that's because I had three to five hours worth of phone calls and conversations with the folks that had put together that packet about the sources that they were using. You know, um, for instance, they're using a political group from one organ, like every town for gun violence is not a quality source when it comes to firearms research because they have a, they have a political tilt. Like, Hey, you, you, you sorted this article from this organization that says this, how about instead of doing that, here's the FBI crime statistic data. Here's the raw data that they are citing, but then you're not only citing from them, you're giving their interpretation of as fact. How about we just go to the raw data? Here's all the metadata files. And I was the only one too that showed up with, I had about a 400 page document I'd put together myself on research um, on all the small issues. because so I had gone through and I did the work. And I think that's the most important part. No matter what you're doing, just do the work and be professional because being a part of those echo chambers and watching people in the same room outleft each other to try to get to the same conclusion or to justify why they felt a certain way and how they were holier than thou, it happens on both sides. I was just watching it from this particular echo chamber. And what I, what I quickly was able to surmise from that is that um, being being right isn't the most important thing, but being able to articulate why you're right and to create a dialogue with folks where you can open up and have competent and comfortable conversations with them, where you can slowly make them willing to approach you on a topic area is the most important thing. Um, that's why I love the channel that I have. At the end of the day, for me, it is this connection of the pop culture and reality. It's about the things I believe in about firearms and everything else and using pop culture as a lens to comfortably approach people through that on. And that leads to great authentic conversations about the realities of that. Good and bad. That's a brilliant answer. Oh, well, thank you, Caleb. Thank you so much. Uh, Craig, do you have any final questions before we wrap up? We've kept gone over a little. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, like it's all, I think wrapping up, it's, it's really is all about being authentic. It's all about connecting with the audience. Um, once you do that, you know, once you build it, they will come, right. You know, you know, you talk to them about your truth and the people that feel that same truth, they're the ones that are going to fill up your social media. And, you know, they're the ones that you kind of want there to be, to be there because that's when you're producing your product, it's going to be for them anyways. So, you know, I think, I think that's, uh, you know, that's the way to do it. And that's obviously been successful for you. And I think it can be successful for a lot of people, regardless of what their topics and their stories are about. Yeah. Don't be afraid to talk to the blank wall, build the content for the folks that aren't there yet. They'll, they'll find you eventually. That's great advice as well. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. We really, really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Yeah. um, It's at commando bond on Instagram or www.commandobond.com. That's brilliant. Well, we'll obviously we'll pop the link down there in the description below. And while you are down there, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, give Caleb a like. Let, let us know that uh, that you appreciate all of the value that he's brought to this conversation. And well, thank you so much for joining us, Caleb. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, cheerio. <laughs>